Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? It's good to see you. Why don't we pray as we come to God's word? So, Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds now to encounter you. This is not a book study. It's not just a community gathering. It's an encounter with you. And we pray that you'd speak to us, minister to us. However we arrive in this room today, Lord, you love us and want to minister to us, encourage us, speak to us. As we look at this amazing passage of Mark's gospel, let the seeds of your word, your truth, go deep in our minds and hearts to bear much fruit. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Well, as I was praying for you this morning, well, really the last few days, it's always with great joy because Ben and Laura and Tom and the rest of the team here are so brilliant. You do know you've got the best pastoral team in the world, don't you? They're amazing. Um, ben keeps guiding me in all sorts of things, particularly which cars to buy, which cars to sell. Literally, the cars we have right now because of his amazing advice, we thank you for him. Uh, but also, as I was praying about this morning, I felt the Lord laid, lay on my heart, particularly maybe just some of you. And so if this is you, I hope you receive this word of encouragement. If it's not you, then maybe at some point you may look back at this as a word of encouragement. Because this morning I want to speak to you if you are feeling confused and disillusioned in your walk with God. If you're feeling confused, disappointed, disillusioned, is it all worth it? God, I didn't expect things to work out this way. Where are you? I remember when I was in my mid-twenties, I went through a season, prolonged season like this. I grew up in the church, like maybe many of you, had profound experiences of God and understood the gospel. And when I went to college, I was one of the campus ministry leaders. But then after that, the wheels fell off my faith through a mixture of my own mess ups and deep hurts in the church and also some confusions around God. Things aren't working out the way I thought they would. Things aren't working out the way you promised. And to be honest, when I sing songs and particularly back then would sing a song like, God, you're never gonna let me down. I couldn't sing that song because you have let me down. And so I felt. I was living in London, I was a young lawyer at the time going, I'm not too sure if this is the life that I want to live. Maybe, maybe the way of London is better. Maybe the way of leisure, pleasure, treasure is better. Maybe I can get my Sundays back and still be okay. I was confused. Maybe it's not just me. I was saying to one person this week who's going through deep, deep trauma, and she said, I thought following Jesus would make things better, but it feels like even when I'm following Jesus, it's like life mirrors the game show Wipeout, whereas I think everything is going okay, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get hit by something and it takes me out. Is it worth it? Well, this is not a question that I just ask, or maybe you are asking today, but certainly the early church was asking. 
This is why Mark's gospel was written because it was around AD 60 to 65 and the early Christians were 30 years into this new experience of following the resurrected Jesus and life started out promising and exciting around the resurrection but soon turned to hardship, difficulty, persecution, martyrdom and many like maybe today were thinking, hang on a minute, this isn't quite what I was expecting. Where is the kingdom of God? Because right now I'm thinking I may lose my life, may lose my livelihood. Things were tough, things were confusing. Isn't Jesus supposed to be the one that brings life and life to the full? That was the promise when I followed him and yet I may actually lose my life following him. In many ways, maybe you're like that today or have felt like that. We may not lose our physical lives, but there seems to be life being taken away in various spaces. And it's into this confusion that Mark writes his gospel. That he wants to reassure a confused and disillusioned community. Writing the biography of Jesus wasn't just an historical artifact. It was to minister to people who were struggling to go, is it all worth it? Mark's gospel, as you know, is really Peter's gospel. He was writing down what Peter was telling him about life with Jesus. And as we look at this passage, we see that in these opening first 16 verses, Peter reassures everyone that even in the confusion, there's nothing better than following Jesus. Even in the doubts and disillusionments and disappointments, there's nothing better than following Jesus. He bursts into the scene and straight away says, even in the confusion, God has a plan that is unwavering. I mean, the confusion times, isn't it feeling like, gosh, are you actually in control? Is your plan, really, what is going on in the world? Doesn't life seem random and chaotic? Does it feel chance and actually the most powerful win? Is Jesus really in control? Mark opens his gospel straight away with this framing of the world around us. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, then he immediately says, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, and then he does a little bit of a mixtape and brings in a quote from Malachi. And straight away, Peter is framing his biography of Jesus around Jesus fulfilling the prophetic stories of the Old Testament. In other words, he's saying the story that God has been writing since the creation of the world is still the story that is being outworked. That although you may feel life is random, you may feel life is by chance, you may feel that this culture says, look, you just got one life and make the most of it because there is no real meaning. He says the, the truest story is of what God is doing in the world and he is fulfilling his story, his plan. He says, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of the story of what Isaiah prophesied, that God himself would come. And then Malachi prophesied that when God would come, someone like Elijah would show up announcing his arrival. 
And so Peter's trying to show people, look, I know it seems dark and confusing now, like where is God in all the midst of this tragedy? But let's not forget the highlight of what we've seen that he is at work and he has been faithful. And just like Malachi promised, there would be someone like Elijah to announce the coming of Jesus. So we saw in John the Baptist, this very messenger. Do you notice how Peter describes the outfit, the clothing, the wardrobe of John the Baptist. It's like, why would you do that? Of course, what he's doing is not going, look how cool John the Baptist looks. He's saying, have you noticed what he's wearing and uses the same language as what was described of Elijah in the Old Testament? Saying this, is, this all looks maybe temporarily chaotic, but actually is deeply significant of God is fulfilling his plan. That when we're in the micro traumas and tragedies of our lives, we can suddenly feel that the anchor has gone and we're feeling, God, it just seems random. That I don't see your purpose being fulfill, fulfilled. And Peter immediately takes them up to a bigger perspective. Do you see the story? Do you see that God is outworking his purposes? That there is a plan from Genesis 1 of God's good design of this universe, this world, this humanity. To Genesis 3 of God putting in a plan to restore what humanity has broken. Partially doing that and prophetically doing that through the people of Israel. But that would only point to a bigger fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And he's saying, this is the good news. The next chapter has begun. And with the birth of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we live in the next chapter of what God is doing in the world. There is a plan. There is a purpose. Jesus called this purpose, we saw in verse 16, it's the kingdom of God is near. That from Genesis 3 onwards, God has promised to heal this world, not to take us out of it and burn it, but to heal it, to renew it, to restore it, He's not going to give up on us like he's not going to give up on his world. And this is the story we're living in, the renewal and redemption of all things in Jesus Christ. This is the great drama that we're flowing through. And the fact that you may be like I, living through tragedies and, tra and uh, challenges and trials is just the sign of God is still at work in the world. There's much to do. Knowing the story you live in, knowing the story of God's plan to renew all things protects us from the disillusionment of the chaos that we can feel day to day. Peter's going, I know it feels confusing right now, but just look back 30 years of what happened with Jesus. Let's let that be our anchor through the storms of confusion. And then later on, he goes, look forward to the future day when he returns. Let that be the hope of our future anger, anchor that keeps us in the storms of confusion. The anchor of the past of the king has come. The anchor of the future, the king will return. This is the backdrop of my life. 
which anchors me in the confusion of the present day. And of course, this makes sense, doesn't it? That though the world says we're living in just a random scientific accident, that means we should just make the most of leisure, pleasure, treasure, because tomorrow we may die. That doesn't make sense of our story. That doesn't make sense of the deep meaning and significance our hearts yearn for. It doesn't make sense of the justice that we fight for, the love that we want to bring to the world. It only makes sense when we realize our lives are captured in this bigger story. I remember when I was disillusioned, I thought, you know what? God, you don't seem to come through for me. And so I thought, yeah, I'm going to live the life of all my friends and see how it goes. I'm going to prove to myself and everyone else that actually the story of London or the story of Los Angeles or the story of Pasadena can lead to life and life to the full. And I remember for two or three years, almost as a scientific experiment, diving into everything the world had to offer. And slowly but surely realizing that what it had to offer would be temporary at best and empty consistently. This is not the story that brings satisfaction. This is not the story that makes sense of the world. This is not the story that makes sense of my desire for contribution and significance and purpose. It's only when we reconnect into God, even in the trials and the tragedies. Okay, this makes sense that his kingdom is coming, that this world is broken, and I get wrapped up in it from time to time, and in seasons it seems overwhelming, but this is for the very reason he came, to bring his kingdom. In the confusion, we remember the story that we're living in, and we anchor it in the facts of his his resurrection and the hope of his coming again. But also, Peter moves on and says, look, in the confusion, there is gr- there's no greater love than this. See, we are a product of love. Our hearts think we decide based on rational decisions, but really we are a product of what we love. I mean, I can go down the road. I don't know if you have sidecar donuts in town here, but uh, I can go down the road and I know sidecar donuts are not good for me. But I realize every time I go down the road that I am not a product of what I think, but of what my desires are. Love is at the heart of everything we do because love is at the heart of the universe. And Peter shows us that, yes, you may be tempted to go somewhere else because maybe you're feeling dry or distant, but At the heart of it, there's a love that is so intoxicating that you can never leave it. It's the love of God himself. That though you may be tempted to give up, though you may be tempted into other loves, there is no greater love than the love of God. This fascinating verse we see in verse nine is one of the only instances in the New Testament where we see an insight into the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the, what love drives the universe, what love drived creating you and me. It says that at the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, 
He was baptized by John in the Jordan. And look at this next verse as we see little family dynamic going on between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You see, the the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is very mysterious and very hard to get our head around. But even though it is that, it's awesomely beautiful at the same time. We see this interaction between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which is this joyful, bountiful celebration over the baptism of Jesus. Like when I go see my son, play soccer you know I'm right there on the sidelines and if he ever scores which is not very frequently but when he wins uh, something I'm there cheering him on he's such a great boy and I want to celebrate him this is what a father does and I love the demonstration here of God the father tears open heaven in full view of everyone there to go I'm not missing my son's baptism Literally tore open the heavens. The Holy, he sends his Holy Spirit like a dove. We don't know what that kind of means, just kind of fluttering around him like he fluttered over creation in Genesis chapter one and then booms down in his voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He sounds very British when he says that, doesn't he? I'm sure it was like, that's my boy. That's my boy. I'm so proud of you. We get a glimpse into love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's been going on for eternity and out of which love birthed humanity, birthed you and me. That this is the love that Jesus says, when you follow me, you get swept up into this Trinitarian community. We come home as a son and a daughter into this love, into this family. And just as Jesus tasted of the brokenness of this world, he also at the same time tasted of this eternal family, which becomes our story too. There's going to be seasons when you're tasting of the brokenness of this world, but it's going to be interrupted as it was with Jesus with a taste of the love of the Father, the enveloping of the Holy Spirit, the anchoring of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This becomes our life. When we follow Jesus, we can go, oh man, I'm tasting of the brokenness like Jesus tasted of the cross. But also there's going to be seasons of where God interrupts and tears open the heaven and comes into your life and goes, I want you to know, you're my boy. You're my daughter. I love you beyond your wildest imagination. And see, when you, if you take the trials and tragedies of this life, the, the journey of the cross that Jesus said and go, no, this is, this is too much. I, I didn't expect this. And you leave, what you're leaving is the greatest love that could ever be poured into your life. The greatest home, the greatest community. Your home with God. When I was going through this wandering away, there were really two things that interrupted me in my wandering. The first was 
the community of Christ, the church. I had really fallen out of love with church, particularly pastors. But there were some people in the church who reached out to me in my wanderings and never gave up on me. Loved me through the stupid things I was doing, the stupid things I'd done. And I tasted of a faithfulness, a love, a commitment from them that though I had other community and other friends, there was something different. There is a different quality of love. And it wasn't because it came from them, but it, it was a reflection of God's covenant love for you and for me, shown through them. There is nothing like the love of God. And actually, it was one day where I woke up in my apartment in London and I had a particularly bad week and particularly rough night. And I woke up and I sensed, this has only happened twice in my life, I sensed the presence of God in my room. I had been away from God and the church for a long time. But it was kind of like he tore the heavens like he did with Jesus on his baptism. And I felt he was in the room. I didn't know what to do except roll over, roll out of bed and get on my knees by the side of my bed. I went, I went very old school at that point. And I felt his love, not his rebuke, not his disappointment. I felt his love breaking into my life. You are my son. And this is the promise of following Jesus. There's going to be trials. There's going to be disappointments. We are caught up in the broken world, which Jesus said, I'm coming to fix. But you're going to get caught up in it. But at the heart of even the midst of this, there's going to be moments, there's going to be encounters of a love that will see you through. The love of the Father bathing his daughters and his sons. I'm with you. I'm proud of you. You are my child in whom I am well pleased. There is no greater home that you could find than being at home with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I remember a speaker once describing what it felt like to be brought into that Trinitarian community. C.S. Lewis and St. Augustine used to call the Trinity like a great dance of eternity between Father, Son, and Spirit. A dance of love and friendship and community. And a friend of mine was at a wedding, and it was a Jewish wedding, and he is not from Jewish background. And at the end of the wedding, after the ceremony, there was this reception, and he was on the outskirts, and all of a sudden, a few people started to get in the middle. The bride and groom started to dance in the middle, and then more people joined them, and then more people joined them. And the bride and the groom were at the center of it, and suddenly the whole room was rotating around the bride and bridegroom, dancing this choreographed, beautiful dance. And he's looking on the outside going, man, that looks amazing, but I don't know why I'm, I'm not from this background. And all of a sudden, he saw the hand of the bridegroom being stretched out of this circle of dance and say, mate, come in and grab my hand. And my friend grabbed his hand and he pulled him into the center. And he was caught up in the great dance of joy. You see, when 
you follow Jesus, it's like his hand is coming out to you on the outskirts saying, come, come into the great dance of joy of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And even though you may be going through tough times, maybe you're going through trials and you're, is this worth it? There's this sense in your heart of, I could never leave the dance. This is home. I've tasted of something of eternity. Maybe you've never felt that. It's always been in your head. I was talking to some people this last weekend about, man, again, I believe that, but I've never experienced that love of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit, is to help you come into that experienced understanding. That's why we do prayer ministry down the front, is because it's not praying for you before God, it's, it's ministering to you through the power of the Holy Spirit that you, maybe today is the day that you go, I'm going through trials, I'm going through tragedies, I need to feel again the love of the dance. Come forward for prayer. Feel the bridegroom take you into the center. And then finally, Peter goes on through Mark to say, look, in the confusion, there's no greater purpose than this. There's no greater purpose than this. You know that story, we say on Alpha all the time, there was a Swedish nanny who was in a house in London and she, her English wasn't very good. And so one day she heard the kids upstairs really destroying the room upstairs. So, oh my gosh, what's going on? And so she ran upstairs and burst through the door and what she meant to say in her broken English was, what on earth are you doing? But instead she said, what are you doing on earth? <laughs> and actually it's a remarkably good question. Because we're in trials and tragedies and confusions and disillusionments in your faith, you go, what am I doing? Is this worth it? Do I abandon this and try something else? What the world says, project self. Just focus on your own sense of well-being and you'll find fulfillment. But of course, as Henry Nouwen says, he says that, look, the great paradox of our time is that many of us are busy and bored at the same time. While running from one event to the next, we wonder in our innermost selves if anything is really happening. While we can hardly keep up with our many tasks and obligations, we are not sure that it would make any difference if we did nothing at all. While people keep pushing us in all directions, we doubt if anyone really cares. In short, while our lives are full, we feel unfulfilled. This is what I discovered. I wanted my life to make a difference. I wanted to make a contribution. I wanted to actually be a, a means of good in the world, but I kind of tried all that this world had to offer, leaving Christ, leaving the church. I thought, I'm going to try it all. I got busy. And I had everything that people said, this is what life is about. I literally sat down one day and I thought, I have it all. I had a successful career. I had lots of money, more than a 24-year-old should ever have. And I had great friends. I was traveling around Europe at weekends playing golf and I'd go skiing in the winters. I had girls, it just, the whole thing. This is it. And yet, like Henry Nouwen said, I just felt, while I was filling my life with so many things, I felt unfulfilled. Into this 
confusion around, God, what are you doing with my life and where are you? Is it better to pursue something else? We see these words of Jesus saying, look, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. This is your purpose. This is what life is about. Yes, it's at times confusing. Yes, you're going to get wipe out every now and again. As Jesus was. That's why he came to take the wipeout out of earth to heal this place. But in the meantime, we're going to get wipeout. We're going to get knocked from side to side just as he was. And it's in that time when we're tempted to go, I'm going to do something else. We lean in and go, but God, this is why you came. That your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To take your light into the trials, to take your hope into the tragedies, to take your healing into the grief, to take your peace into the oppression, to take your justice to those who have been trodden down. It's when I experience the tragedies, the painful sides of life, that is where I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Tragedies and trials are not for us to go, God, where are you? Why did this happen? It's to say, God, where are you taking me? Your kingdom come, your will be done. I grew up with an expectation and a promise because I grew up in the charismatic church and I'm still a charismatic, but I grew up with a false promise that, hey, if you follow Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. That victory in the Christian life means no pain and no tragedy. The problem was that it looks nothing like the person I follow, Jesus Christ. What we see is Jesus saying the kingdom of God is near, which means you're going to have great tastes of it now, but you're also not going to feel at times the fullest taste. You're going to feel the pain and tragedy of life. It's that tension that we live, the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And I did see God do amazing things that kept me going, miracles. And we heard this morning, just God does heal and we press into that. We say your kingdom come and it's brilliant. But in the times of the not yet, I didn't know what to do. I had no theology for the not yet. I had no theology of when God didn't answer prayer the way I hoped. I went on a journey of going, Jesus, you promised actually great acts of breakthrough in the kingdom, but also not yet. But we are still tasting of the brokenness of this world because that taste will still be in our lives until the day he returns. And he took me on a journey of where are you in the not yet? Where are you in the death of a friend? Where are you in the the job that I didn't get? Where are you in the relationship that broke down? Where are you if my kids are going astray? Where are you in my marriage? Where are you in my body? Where are you? I'm tasting of the not yet. It's in these moments where Jesus says, my kingdom is near. At times you're going to see a breakthrough, but at times you're not going to see the breakthrough, but you are going to sense not the kingdom of God near, but the king is near.
For at the very end, he said to his disciples, look, go and make disciples, but just so you know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because even when the kingdom isn't its fullest, the king is always with us. And that's why he'll never let us down. Because he says, look, I may not bring the fullest of my kingdom until that day when I return, but I promise I will always be with you. I will always lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will never forsake you. And I will always, even in the not yets, turn them for your good. This is the great hope of the kingdom, that even in the not yets, he is with us and will turn them for good. This is our purpose. This is where we go into the darkness of life and bring his hope and bring his love. And even if you're visiting children sick in hospital, whether you're grieving for those who are in pain, whether you're lamenting your own circumstances, it's in those dark times, it's in that when you feel his presence closest and the kingdom is most liable to break in in unexpected ways. I was, I'll end on this. This was taught to me in a very reluctant way. I, in my youth, when I was at law school, I developed a, a terrible stammer, stutter. It was debilitating. I couldn't really say my name, and my name's hard enough to say without a stutter. And I was on track to be a trial lawyer, and I saw my career just disappear before me. And I remember after two years of struggling with this, struggling with how do I get beyond this, the only thing that really helped fluency was alcohol. So I was drinking more and more, thinking this is the only way to get to fluency. I knew that would be a dead end eventually. I remember going back to my father, who was a Christian. And I said, he said, what's wrong? I said, I, I think my life is crumbling before me. I could hardly say anything. And he said, well, let me pray. And he prayed and the stammer didn't go away. But I remember he said something to me. He said, look, son, in the times of trial and tragedy, God often does his best work. I've got to say at the moment, that wasn't very comforting. I said, I don't really want to hear that. He said, well, I know you don't want to hear that, but God's at work even if he doesn't take away your stammer. And I, he said, what, what's happening? So I said, I go to the doctors. I've, I'm in this therapy class for stammerers. You know, we meet every week and we try and talk. And it's kind of comedy, really, because it, we're all kind of stuttering away. And I remember my father saying, oh, my gosh. What a privilege. That God's positioned you to bring hope, to bring his kingdom to a group of people who feel hopeless. Where, how else would you have got into that group to bring the heart of God to them? The kingdom of God is near. I went, shut up, Dad. I don't, that doesn't comfort me. I want healing. But I look back and go, that's exactly what the kingdom of God is. 
Life is wipeout, folks. But the kingdom of God is near. And if you surrender your life, draw close to the king, you'll see his kingdom come in unexpected and glorious ways. Let's pray together. So just in silence, just lift up your hearts to him wherever you are. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. We're in a great story that is unstoppable. We're in the trinity of love that will be the anchor through all the storms of life. And there is purpose even in the tragedies, even in the trials, your kingdom can break out. And so we surrender again. We do what it says at the end, follow me. The invitation to follow me is not follow me and everything will go perfect. It's follow me and you will see the kingdom of God. You will see the heart of the Trinity open up to you. You will see your life have meaning and significance within the trials, within the disappointments. Come follow me. So Jesus, we say again, we're going to follow you. There's nothing better out there. As we worship now, our prayer team will be down the front. If you're in a place of disillusionment, confusion, or you just need anything else, come forward for prayer. Let us minister to you. But let's stand and we're going to sing. And we're going to, in our hearts, say, Jesus, we're going to follow you. Amen.